are we? The church. The elect. Gathered into one under Christ the head. We are gospel preachers. And cross proclaimers. We remember the broken body. And spilled blood of Christ. We are baptizers. And Jesus teachers. God glorifiers. And disciple makers. We are Christ exalters. Who make Christ exalters. We are not a building or a day of the week. An organization. Or a consideration. We are the household of God. A pillar of the truth. The body of Jesus and his waiting bride. We worship authentically. Pray fervently. Evangelize personally. Grow spiritually. And love genuinely. Always remaining in Jesus Christ. Unashamed and unafraid to declare the full counsel of his word. We will keep Christ alone as the chief shepherd. Bearing fruit. Working together, each using our gifts for the profit of all. And looking beyond our walls. We will celebrate every church near and far. Where the gospel is preached, undiluted and undefiled. We will plant churches that plant churches. And not even the gates of Hades nor death itself will prevail against us. We are His church. Hearts and minds set on things above. Eyes lifted to Almighty God. With lives transformed by Him who wills and works through us. And among us. And within us. We are humble, dependent on God. We are healthy and strong in doctrine and relationships with whole participation. And we are nothing, nothing apart from Him. We are nothing apart from Him. We are Summit Church. Summit, Summit. 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 Summit Church. Summit Church. Standing amidst a vast distance of trees and rocky terrain, an eerie sense of anxiety, even dread, can claim the space peace once resided. Yet pushing our gaze beyond the forest to the cloud-piercing summit of the mountain on the other side changes things. The transcendent destination that awaits us brings on a greater sense of anticipation in spite of the journey we thought we feared. So beautiful, so majestic, so intimidating, something so lofty in its nature, the depth of understanding is lost as the massive scale shatters any eye's ability to comprehend distance. We are paralyzed with wonder by such a sight. We take a moment to look behind us, simply curious to see what once captured our attention looks like in contrast to the summit before us. Emptiness. A vast plain of nothing. How long, oh, how long we spent seeking pleasure and purpose on flat ground. But now, with the new perspective, we see that there has always been something greater. There's no way we're turning back. We're moving forward, looking up and leaving this world behind us. Already we've forgotten about the terrain between. Now there isn't dread, no anxiety, but determination and a willingness to endure the briars, mud, slippery slopes, and the unknown. So we step out, disappearing from the sunlight into a forest of shade as our journey begins. But it doesn't take long, though. It doesn't take long for the silhouette of the treetops to close in. Keeping our eyes on the summit made the trees look so small, forgettable. But here, here among them, they tower above us. We can't see the summit anymore. Blocked by a canopy of unwanted circumstances. What happened? 
We were ready to face anything, zealous, motivated to not let anything get in the way. Before, our field of view was vast, but here, several feet. Panic sets in. It feels harder to breathe. Fear takes over. We've gotten turned around. Where's north? The night is coming. We feel alone, exposed, ill-equipped, like a lab rat being studied, unable to exit the maze. Questions of doubt flood our minds. Why am I here? What was I thinking? I can't do this. I just want to go back. I'm not going to make it. It feels like it's the end until, until something catches the corner of our eyes. A patch of light shining through the trees. We, we try to look through, but our eyes haven't quite adjusted and we see only white. Slowly, our vision focuses on something past the trees. Piercing the sky, breaking through the canopy, the summit. Once again, the awe of beauty settles our body as we stand just staring. We've been centered once again. Our purpose and destination is before us. We know where we are. We remember why we are here. We're stirred to keep moving. The fear has subsided and now excitement reigns. The journey isn't complete. We're still in the forest. Circumstances of pain are still closing in. Life is screaming, but for us, it can barely be heard because our eyes and ears are set on something louder, greater, taller, better, bigger, fuller, longer, wider, higher, mightier, stronger, grander, warmer, deeper, braver, fresher, fiercer, larger, steeper, and richer. The summit awaits. Church, God tells us to do whatever we do all for his glory and in his name's sake. And if we're held accountable for every single idle word, then you better believe we're gonna put excellence even in a name. This name already has helped me in dark moments as I begin to think about the thing that I need to keep my eyes focused on. That's why we're Summit Church. Summit Church. Before us, above. But it's a journey, right? It was a journey to get here this morning. Although it wasn't as bad as those meteorologists said. I think they do it for money. Um, how many times did you check your phone or computer, right? They gotcha. They gotcha. Um, but a journey. And for us, think about where your journey began. You could mark it in multiple places. You could mark it this morning when you woke up. You could mark it um, at a certain point of time when you became with, involved with this body. We're on a journey together. The journey for our church began in the early 90s. In the early 1990s. And it, was, it was people meeting together. Things grew, and then we met in an elementary school, Sheldon Woods, if you know where that is, um, down the way, as we were building something uh, here. Not here. This, I think this was a parking lot or a field um, at that time, but that, the old building where the gym is now and some of the classrooms are, that was the first building we had. But the, the foundation of the church here has never been the buildings, uh, not, not even the pastors, not even the people. It's always been Jesus Christ, the living word of God. And that's what we celebrate this morning. So many years went by, and then in 2006, we built this building. And that kind of coincided with something in 2007. That's, that's when we joined the Harvest Bible Fellowship. 
Some of you are familiar with Harvest, some of you aren't. But it was basically a fellowship of churches um, really focused on some key things. And the things that we were excited about in joining Harvest were, first of all, just a really close doctrinal alignment. So in terms of what we believe about the Word of God, in terms of its authority, Jesus' authority to tell us what to do, we were fired up about that in 2007. And then we were fired up about something, too, that, that was really kind of a going beyond where we were, and that was church planting. Harvest was a church planting fellowship. It was awesome. Uh, personally, Heather, my wife, and I came from Illinois, um, and we were part of the first church that ever uh, was ever planted out of the bigger Harvest Church. So there's a part of my heart that's really, uh, Harvest is near and dear to me. There was a goal to say, hey, the first 10 years uh, we exist as a fellowship, we're going to plant kind of 10 churches. And I think uh, in its, um, at its kind of peak, there were, what, 150 churches or so, Todd? So the Lord did far more exceedingly beyond, uh, abundantly beyond what we were asking at the time. And for 10 years in this church, as we were part of the Harvest Fellowship, it was extremely fruitful. I think of many of you, I remember our, our relationship with the churches in Liberia. Um, I'm thinking of Paul Yu right now. I don't know if you're in here, Paul. I don't know where you are. But every time you talk about Liberia, your face lights up. Um, and it, it's kind of because of that work of the Lord, but I also know it's because of the relationships and what God did to knit hearts together. And then the Caribbean. We have a relationship with a church right now in Spanish Town, Jamaica. So church planting was this important thing. And then ultimately it was, it was about relationships. So I wrote this down. The relationships that we formed across the Harvest Bible Fellowship are of an eternal quality, kingdom-minded, sharpening, refreshing, and supportive. As many of you know, in 2017, the Harvest Bible Fellowship dissolved. Um, and it, it wasn't just, it wasn't just a, a, it was a good choice out of bad circumstances. And basically there was scandal with its founding pastor and the elders of that, I guess you'd say flagship um, church in the fellowship. And the, the thought I have about that situation is that it's one thing for a church or a, a person in Christ Jesus to struggle with sin, but it's another thing to persist in sin, to be unrepentant. So coming out of that dissolution and that scandal, right away the elders of this church are like, we, we want to move away from being associated with that. We don't want to be associated with that. So that's kind of the journey of how we got here today. I'm going to have a few more details. But the journey of this name really started as us moving away from something. And two things come, up, come to mind. It's association with something. And it's association with an unhealthy culture. So changing our name moves us away from an association with an unhealthy culture. And I think that's best represented with those two words that you see up on the screen right now, domineering culture and enabling culture. Domineering, uh, Peter wrote to the elders um, of churches, and he said to, sh to shepherd the flock. And he said, hey, don't do it for shameful gain. Do it eagerly. Don't do it under compulsion. Do it willingly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When we have someone look at the name of our church, we don't want them to think of a church where its leaders are domineering, working for shameful gain, and this weird compulsion. So we don't want to be associated with that. And then an enabling church. You know, it'd be easy to look at 
what happened with the Harvest Bible Fellowship and assign a scapegoat and say, that's James McDonald's fault that that happened. But it says in 1 Timothy 5, the reference is up there, hey, don't be hasty in laying hands on people. Don't participate in the sins of others. There was a whole system that was set up there that was just unbiblical in how it was being worked out. And it was an enabling church. It wasn't one person that caused that. It was many people. So we don't want to be associated with being a church like that, right? Then there's another thing that's even scarier than that. Association is one thing. We can change our name, boom. But participation in an unhealthy culture. There's this temptation when many people around you have a certain attitude for you to partake in that. Bad company corrupts good morals. Paul wrote that to the church in Corinth. And then there's this temptation um, to be like those who seem successful. It says in Proverbs 22, if you were at Vertical Men this past week, you know this. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So we don't want to have that temptation in front of us. So that's where it started. We chose to rename ourselves, deliberately moving away from something. But then God did something over the course of time, and it's really that he continued to work out this plan. So May 15th, 2018, I remember it um, because that was when we kicked off the rename of our church. Now, that's a long time ago, uh, relatively speaking. I remember it because Todd texted me in the morning, and he said, I'm sick as I've ever been in my whole life. I won't go into the details of what he then texted, but he was very sick, so he couldn't go to the meeting that we were having. And then uh, Ken at the time texted me as well as like, I'm sick as a dog, I can't go to this. I'm like, great, we're getting started off on the right foot. No one can go to our meeting. Uh, But the deacons were there in support of the elders. We started talking about a rename. And it was an awesome meeting in terms of clarity of what we were moving away from. And then when we got to talking about what we were moving towards, it just got really weird. Like there's no other way to say it. Just got really weird. But what happened as time went on And if you've been here over the past few years, you know what God did. He did something to our church, and he humbled the leaders of this church. And it became less about moving away from something and more about moving towards something. And that's why I'm excited this morning, and all your leaders are excited, because this rename has become less about moving away and disassociating with the harvest name, although that's important, that's pragmatic, and more about what we're moving towards. And what we're moving towards is unity more than uniformity. Unity more than uniformity. Unity is being brought together. Uniformity is doing everything the same way. And the harvest way was that everyone does everything the same way, right? That was kind of like it. So if you went to a harvest church in, I don't know, pick a city, uh, London, Ontario, Canada, or St. Louis, you're pretty much going to get the same menu um, as if you were at our church. Everyone did things the same way. That was good in terms of growth and clarity and things like that. But it also caused some other problems. If you look at the verse on the screen, it's from Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He says, hey, there's varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Paul wrote this to an individual church, but it applies to all churches as well. 
And there's this awesome idea that the unity in this passage comes from God. The unity is the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. But then this variety or diversity is gifts of the Holy Spirit. And service, ministry is another word you could uh, translate there, or activities. But it's the same God who works those out everywhere. So changing our name moves us towards not so much uniformity, like everything we're going to do the Harvest Way, but unity that we're unified together. And that's awesome because if you know the relationship with our church, there's been some weirdness at times in regards to our relationships with other churches. And God has done away with that. It's an amazing thing when God humbles people and then does away with things. So there's no more family feuds anymore with any churches that we have relationships with. And it's, it's an awesome thing. And that's because we don't have to be like other churches and they don't have to be like us. And yes, there are table stakes for being a church. I get it, don't use a gambling uh, example when we're trying to communicate with the church. But there's, there's a, a price of admission for being a church that you have to do certain things. You have to have sound doctrine. The taking of the Lord's Supper, baptism, these are things that every church should be doing. They're not really visionary things. It's like, this is what it means to be a church. But then within that, there's varieties of gifts. God has composed this church with all of you in this amazing way by the power of his spirit that we're different than other churches because the Holy Spirit wants it to be that way. And then there's varieties of service or ministry. We do different things than other churches. We do the same things as some churches, but we are allowed because the Holy Spirit has brought it to us. Jesus, the same Lord, has told us, hey, there's a variety of service. Do these things. And there's varieties of activities or operations. Another awesome thing has been our relationship with the Great Commission Collective, GCC. Um, the, the president, who's kind of newly appointed, I believe, he, his name's Dave Harvey. He's an author. Maybe you've heard of his name, but he sent out a note that Todd forwarded, and I was so encouraged about it, um, basically stressing the idea of the GCC is not about every church being the same. It's about every church being unified and doctrine and having healthy relationships. So unity more than uniformity. That's this awesome privilege afforded us to, by God that he keeps us unified. And then he tells us what to do with that. So moving towards unity, not, not uniformity, not saying we're unified because we do everything the same. We're unified because of the power of God. And then changing our name helps us move towards clarity about who God has called us to be. Clarity about who God has called us to be. Now, I wrote in uh, some notes there's weird side effects that happen when you import vision into a church. And that's kind of what you do when, when, when you used to become a Harvest Church. You're basically kind of importing vision. And that's fine because that's a shared vision, right? But when you import vision, in our case, really what happened was we had these, this kind of dual vision. We believe in the things that the Harvest Bible Fellowship stood for. We were never against those things. And yet, it was kind of like there was one foot here, like, all right, harvest. And then in, in regards to how we operated in, in some fashion, there was like one foot here. I don't want to get stuck there. So, but just this, this thing where you end up not doing either way very well. But a bigger risk than just that kind of identity crisis 
is that when you import a vision, there's a risk. And the risk is that you stop listening to God. The awesome thing that God is doing in our church is because we're all listening better. You could say, well, we're listening to each other in terms of unity, right? But the awesome thing that God is doing in our church is because we're listening to the Holy Spirit. So we we don't have weird side effects anymore of importing vision because God is giving us a vision. And the way that God does that, you'll see this if you read your, your Bible cover to cover, but it's the, the pattern of vision within the church looks like this. It's, it's a formula that I wrote down. So vision equals, my dad's a math teacher, so everything becomes an equation in my head. But vision equals humility plus prayer plus the word of God plus conviction plus courage. And if you look all throughout Scripture, so if you look in the book of Nehemiah, which is an awesome picture of what it means for someone to have vision and carry something out, that's what it looks like. He was humbled. He was in a place he didn't want to be. Emotionally connected to his people. He was praying constantly, encouraged by the word of God. And then there was a conviction, and then they had the courage to do it. So that's a pattern you see anywhere in Scripture. And the thing that I'm excited about is that I've seen that happening amongst our leaders. So we've been meeting significantly, um, multiple times a week, many of us, but all of us at least once a week, um, for over a year, talking about this. Like, who are we? Who has God called us to be? And except for one time when I screwed up, which was last week, we spent most of it praying. Significant portion of our time asking God what to, to do, encouraging each other with prayer, praying for, for people, but um, it's been bathed in prayer. And this is what I've seen, and I think any one of our leaders would echo this. Over the past I, year, I'll just say, seven convictions that have shown up. It's almost uncanny. Every time, multiple ones of these things that we're going to talk about comes up. And perhaps it's Todd saying something, and then Glenn will say, um, I was just reading that this week. Or Jasper will say, like, we need to do this. And then Charles will say, like, I thought that driving in this morning. Or I'll say something, and then everyone's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And then Peter will say something with strong conviction. I don't know where he is, but you can hear me, Peter, right? Strong conviction. And then someone will be like, that's right. So God is doing this awesome thing that there's this biblical pattern, and we did not seek this out other than to seek the Lord But here's convictions that I've heard. This is not all the convictions we have, but a thing that I've just noticed over and over and over again. And the first one is that we need to be in this place of entire dependence on God. Place of entire dependence on God. You could say the word for that is humility. We need to be humble. The challenge with saying humility is it means so many different things to different people, right? But it goes back to we need to depend on God. God's our only hope. Jesus said this. The Lord said this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing, nothing. Proverbs 3, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll make your path smooth and straight. 
So depend entirely on God. Another one, pastors are equippers more than ministers. So this is a statement about what Scripture says. We keep going back to this. Pastors are equippers more than ministers. That's in Ephesians chapter 4. He gave the pastor teacher, or the shepherd teacher, for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. You know what? You know who the ministers in the church are? You are. I'm a minister. Kevin, you're a minister. Heather, you're a minister. Phil, you're a minister. The pastors equip by way of feeding with the word of God and leading in terms of directionally, but we're all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that church tradition that crept up and said like, hey, I'm, I'm a minister, or I, basically I'm a, I'm a reverend, or I'm, I'm a pastor. We're all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it keeps going back to that. We keep talking about that. We also talk about exalting Christ more than celebrating our church. So there's a temptation this morning to get like the t-shirt cannon out and be like, like launch out all the t-shirts about, hey, Summit Church. And we are probably going to get t-shirts. You're going to look really cool with that logo. I know the guy who made the logo because he did that thing a minute ago. Jasper created that logo for us, and I think he did an awesome job. So it's it's not like we don't want to celebrate our church, but ultimately we want to exalt Jesus Christ. So if someone comes away from our church, having been here for a visit or whatever, and they don't remember all the, the churchy stuff, but they say, Jesus Christ is preached in that place. Jesus is in that place. The Holy Spirit is working in that place. Good. Like, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Exalt Christ more than celebrate our church. And that's not just an idea. That is 2 Corinthians 10, 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. It's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends. We don't say stuff about ourselves. We want to be clear communicators. We want to understand about who we are in Christ Jesus. But in regards to making this big party about who we are all the time, we are sinners saved by Christ Jesus. We exalt Jesus Christ. Another thing, make disciples, not consumers. When we were talking about our mission statement, it was awesome to, to flow through this. And it wasn't like a two-hour discussion. It got really frustrating. Because we do disagree on minor things. And you know what that produced, that disagreement within trust? This awesome thing that we have, we have this unity and then a diversity of thought and things. So we're fully aligned as leaders on our mission statement. But the crafting of it was, was kind of a pain. Because there's a conviction in some guys. It's like, do not take this out. Do not put this in. It was hard, but better. And one conviction is make disciples, not consumers. We recognize as leaders of the church, when you seek to make disciples and not consumers, that our church will not grow probably at the pace that you see some other churches grow. And we're fine with that, and you should be too. Make disciples, not consumers. We're not peddling the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another conviction, be encouraging, not burdening. I remember a meeting we were in, um, and it was like frustrating, because it felt like we kept running into a brick wall on something. And then Glenn quoted 1 Thessalonians 5. I don't remember the exact verse, um, reference number, but it's admonish the idle, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, 
be patient with them all. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. That's shepherding, man. That's shepherding, Glenn. That's awesome. It was a reminder for us, hey, we're here to encourage people, not burden them. Yes, there is conviction in the Holy Spirit. When you walk into this place and the word of God is preached and you are living in unrepentant sin, you will feel heavy or you will run away and something won't feel right. But when you are in Christ Jesus and you you submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you hear the truth of God's word, you should leave this place buoyed, jumping up and down because of who, who God is and what he's done in Christ Jesus. So we want to be a place that's encouraging, not burdening, that just keeps coming up over and over again. Some of us have a tendency to get really passionate and excited. And it's awesome that we have others who are like, hey, chill out, Bjorn. Admonish the idol, yes. But don't forget to encourage the faint-hearted. Don't forget to help people who are weak. Another conviction, pray more than plan. Pray more than plan. Now, this is interesting because planning is not a bad thing. It's very necessary. But when you plan apart from prayer, you're building a house that the Lord's not behind. So we want to start with prayer, have who we are infused with prayer, and then end with prayer. I hope you've seen that maybe in our worship services showing through. We want to pray together. And I get it. Sometimes it's weird. Like, you're next to someone and they're praying and they're passionate and then you're like, they smell like breakfast sausage and coffee breath and it's just, like, I don't know how to interact with people like that. That's okay. That's part of being in a family together, right? But we want to pray more than plan. And you, as part of this body of believers, should hold us to that. So if it feels like we're not praying, or if in your own life there's, there's not prayer, let's get back to that. And then finally, this, this core one, it's kind of a foundational one, just as Jasper talked about. We have to remain in the word of God. Abide in me, Jesus said it. Some people would translate it as remain, remain in me. There's been this awesome experience as we talk about the word of God. Um, this, I would call it like this delicious amazing tension of the fact that the word of God is this, the Bible, the revealed written word of God, and it's also Jesus Christ himself. Oh, man. Because then you, when you think about it, like that foundation that Jasper was talking about last week, in terms of our foundation being Jesus, when we say things then like, know Jesus, it's not just memorizing verses. It's knowing and being in a relationship with the living word of God, a, a, a being, God himself, know Jesus. So there's like, I know things about the Bible. I know about Babylon. I know what this represents when I read my Bible. And I know Jesus. And he says, beloved. And he says, friend. He says, child. And it's awesome. So we want to remain in the word of God and never depart from the Bible, the written word of God, never depart from abiding in Christ. So those things just kept coming up over and over and over again to the point where it's like God is telling us this is what he wants. And really what, what that produced was something not too different than we're accustomed to in this church. It was kind of like this, this vision And you can see at the bottom of it that Jesus is the word of God. 
and he's our foundation. And then there, there's these pillars, right? And we changed some of them and added some pillars. If you're new here, the pillars probably don't mean as much to you as if you've been here for a while, although there's some of you who have been here for a long while, and the pillars probably just never connected because of that weird, like, dual vision thing that was happening. But those convictions are basically communicating all these things about Jesus is the word of God. Remain in the word of God. And when you do that, it'll drive you to authentic worship. Fervent prayer, personal evangelism, spiritual growth, genuine love. And all these things together will glorify God as we make disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. But there's this other component as well, and it's basically those four Boxes that are different colors at the top there. And I, I don't know what to call these. I just, when people talk about vision, it's this weird thing. Like, people have said in the past, like, our church needs vision. And I got the confusion, right? Because it was that dual thing, harvest or, or who are we and all that kind of stuff. But then as I studied the word of God, I'm like, wait a minute, it doesn't really talk about vision a lot. Yes, there's the Proverbs verse where there's no prophetic vision on the people cast off restraint. I get it. But at the same time, I wondered, like, is vision like this spiritual gift or this quality that, that, that he gives to people? Or is spiritual kind of vision basically just a discipline that comes from listening to God? And after studying it for a while, this is me personally. I'm not, like, making a decree for our church. I would say vision is more of a spiritual discipline than a spiritual gift. Yes, some men and women are better communicators than others. And that often coincides with vision. But in terms of vision, it all comes from listening to God and knowing the word of God. So the song, Be Thou My Vision, that's, that's our vision. And then in terms of what our vision is, this is what it is. The pillars founded on the word of God, pushing up that we would glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. And then there's this thing that should always be seen in small groups, kids' ministry, as we worship together, um, as we greet each other. Anything that happens amongst the, this body of believers, we should always see humility, entire dependence on God. And then healthy doctrine. Like there should be this, this certainty that we're preaching this. But not just the guys who are up here generally on Sunday mornings. Todd and Charles and Jasper. But all of us are proclaiming the word of God. And it has to be healthy. We can't drift from what the men were thinking and the Holy Spirit was inspiring when this was recorded. And then healthy relationships. So if you have humility and healthy doctrine, but, but there's bad relationships, something's wrong then. Maybe you don't have as much humility as you think, and maybe your doctrine isn't as healthy, healthy as you would think. So we should always see healthy relationships. And that's internally with each other, Right? But that's between churches as well. And then finally, whole participation. Everybody should be participating because we've been given gifts, just like Paul wrote to Corinth, for the profit of everyone. So what does that have to do with Summit? Well, it's one of those weird things where it's like, well, everything. And then absolutely nothing, too. But I'm excited now, as Jasper's going to share a little bit about, well, what, what does Summit have to do with this vision? Thanks, Bjorn. So, church, we're 
one, we're excited. There's a lot to talk about, and I think you can see the heart of your, your leadership coming through Bjorn as he gets to speak on behalf of us all. But what's exciting is, is we, yes, here's why we're changing our name, but Summit, why are we choosing Summit? There's, there's a big reason for that, and there's even something that we want to equip you with so that every time you see our name and it becomes something that you're saying, you're thinking about, you're driving in, you're seeing it, I want you to think back to the Old Testament. God was constantly giving his people these reminders, these things that they should do, these, these feasts, these festivals, constant reminders because he wanted the people to remember. Why? Because they forget so easily. I mean, think about the Lord's Supper. What did Jesus say? He said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so every single month we observe the Lord's table. One, because we're told to do it because we are fickle and we forget and we're down here on the, on the temporary world that's fallen and it's so easy, it's so easy to be over here like enamored with the mud and the dirt when there's a huge summit next to us. And we always have to be prompted to remember what life is all about. So I want you to think through the visual we gave you earlier. Life is like walking through a forest. And there's moments maybe when we set out in the journey in our spiritual life where we're ready to take on hell with a water pistol, if you've heard someone say that, Right? Don't do that. I wouldn't recommend do that. Jesus fights the enemy for us. We don't fight against them personally. But we get motivated, right? Because we have perspective. Jesus opens our eyes and we see what life is all about. But then, you know, we, we start doing life each and every day. And what happens? The canopy of trees closes in around us. And we get intimidated, anxious, and terrified by life. And we kind of lose the purpose. We lose the motivation. But guess what? Here's what we want you to know as a leadership. God has purposefully put us in the midst of the forest and he allows it to climb over us for two reasons. Hardships grow us, but our hardships also test us. God is testing the genuineness of our faith. Do you want to know if you've truly set your eyes on the summit? Do you want to know if you're truly in Jesus? Well, there's no tree, there's no forest, there's no circumstance that will get you to say, I'm done with you, God, and go back. You do that, you've failed the test and it proves you've never been his. Paul wanted to present everyone mature in Jesus Christ. Paul, at the end of his life, when he knew he was going to die, he said, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. Now, therefore, is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that God will not only give to me, but to all those who love his appearing. So when you see Summit Church, here's the simplest way we can equip you to remember. Summit Church reminds you to look up. Look up. I'm going to read you a verse, Colossians 1, verse 1, it reads this. Colossians 1, verse 1 says this. If you then have been raised with Christ, have you? If so, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Next verse, verse 2 says this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And then he finishes verse 3 with this. He says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's all about identity. Who are we? We must remember this. We must remember. And if God can give us one way as the leaders that we can equip, even within our name, to remind us always that God's presence is what changes us, then we're going to do that. And we're excited. It's something that embodies the purpose of summit. Imagine, imagine keeping your eyes on this transcendent, lofty thing that's always your destination, always. 
and it reminds you that it is far greater and bigger than anything that you're going through. And it's exactly what our minds need to be set on, especially when we're going through hardship. All of our hardship and all of our questions of doubt can be traced back to our focus being put on the simple things that are before us. Jesus is always there, giving us hope, giving us something greater, and we're pressing in to that. And so we hope that the name is more than just a name. It's more than just an identifier. It's more than just something that sounds good. We hope that the name can be something that God uses to remind you of something great in the midst of your hardships, to remind you, look past the canopy, look into where the light is shining and remind you what, what awaits on the other side of life. Keep going. Looking up entails a whole lot more than just the physical aspect of looking up. There's more to it than just keeping our eyes on it. And so as we're closing up today, Bjorn's going to give you two more things that looking up requires that we want you to be motivated by. All right, church? Remember, it was a long time ago now. Heather and I were in Colorado, um, and we were climbing a mountain. Now it wasn't like a 14er or a big peak, but we were we were climbing up, um, and you keep your eyes fixed on that summit because you're like, that's where I want to go. Um, and this awesome thing that happens. First of all, it was in a time when there were tons of mountain lions around, um, so I was paranoid, but trying to act brave so I could impress my wife. Um, so I was like, everywhere I walked, I looked for a stick, and I'm like. I'm going to use that stick to stab a mountain lion if it attacks us. So then we're like, I don't know, maybe like 3,000 feet up from where we started. And I hear this sound in the brush. And I'm like, here it is, here it is, here it is. And it's someone's border collie that ran out. But I was like so tempted to be like, yay, like it's, a, it's got us. Um, but as you, after we stopped, um, after I freaked out about the dog that someone was walking up there with, you look out and you recognize we've just climbed up 3,000 feet. And when you look out, it's different. So there's this idea of like, all we have to do is look up and everything's going to be great. But we also have to remember that when we look up, we have to look around. You have to look around. There's an example in John 4. It's right after Jesus had talked to the woman at the well, and the disciples were away when he's talking to her. And then they come back and they're like, we got you food, Jesus. And then he's like, I've got food to eat that you don't know about. So I got to imagine for a disciple, like they love Jesus so much and they, they want to impress him. And so we love you, Jesus. And they're like, we got food. He's like, I've got food you don't know about. And they're probably disappointed, right? And then he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Then he talks about this. He's like, hey, you have this idea of, hey, I planted and the harvest is going to come in four months. Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. Look around and see that the fields are white for harvest. So when we look around, we have to remember that this is urgent. We're not playing patty cake together as believers. There's an urgency to what God has us to do and is calling us to do. And it's kingdom work. So look around. It's, it's urgent. But then there's this other awesome aspect. If you go all the way back to 2 Kings 6. So there's, there's a prophet named Elisha. 
He's with his servant. They're basically holed up in a, in a, in a city or in a, in a place where they're surrounded by enemies. And we have to remember, just like Elisha and his servant, to remember that we're not alone. So there are spiritual forces of darkness that are set against the success that God would have for this church. I don't say that like one of those uh, name it and proclaim it preachers. I'm just saying the things that God would have us accomplish, there are enemies set against us, and they are not human beings. They are spiritual forces of darkness. And it's, it's easy to forget that, but when God opens our eyes, when we're willing to look around, we see the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when we're looking up, let's not forget to look around and remember that this is urgent, but we're not alone. We are not alone. God has ministering spirits to help us. And we're not alone because we have each other. We're going to study this in a couple months, I think it'll be. But basically, Paul writes to the church in Philippi in chapter 3. Hey, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. There's a tendency to feel alone sometimes in this world. We're more connected than ever, right? It's easier to talk to people. And yet, we probably feel less connected than we ever have. And some people try to replicate that by saying, like, oh, we, we've got to build this community. The way that you build a community in Christ Jesus is focusing on Christ Jesus. When you think about Christ being at the summit, if there's people going in divergent ways apart from Christ, they won't be together. But when you head towards Christ, you're going to end up being more and more together. So we're not alone. We have each other. And that's awesome. And yes, it's hard sometimes, to ascend on this journey towards God together. But it's also awesome in how it's supposed to be. So look around. It's urgent, but we're not alone. And then look forward. When we're looking up and then we look around, sometimes then when you look around, maybe your relationships seem hard. You realize how broken things are in a sinful and disordered world. And then you get concerned. Am I, am I going to make it? And this is this awesome statement. So Peter, just before uh, the Lord says this to him, he confesses Christ. He's like, you're God. And Jesus says, yeah. And then he says, and I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock or on this little stone that you are, I will build my church. And let's never forget that. This is the church of Jesus Christ. This is his church. It's not mine or Charles or Jasper's or Corey's. It's Jesus' church. He's the one who's building us and building the church. And we get to participate in it, and it's awesome. So he's doing the work. It's his church. He's building it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So it's easy to read that and be like, what what does gates of hell mean? The word that's literally used there is gates of Hades. And that's, to the people listening, it was basically this, this figure of death. Not even the gates of Hades. Not even the thing that you're most scared of. The thing that takes life away will prevail against it. And Jesus was, in some sense, prophesying there. He's saying, guess what? They're going to kill me. I'm going to rise up again. And then because I conquered death, nothing can stand against it. Not even the thing that you're the most scared of, which is death. Not even this tool 
I think it says in Hebrews that, that, that Satan can use death in this way. But basically, not even death, the thing that you're most afraid of, will prevail against the church. You could say it in this way, because of the work of Christ Jesus and his designation, the church is invincible. It will always stand. Always. So you will make it. We will make it. And some of us may suffer in the part, and some of us may even die. But it's all worth it. And the church, the bride of Christ, will prevail against it. When Jesus comes back, there will be a church to receive him. So we'll make it because we have Jesus. Therefore, this is Hebrews 12, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Again, remember to look around. We're not the first ones to do this. Jesus has made a church. We have all this history to build on and look at. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then look, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jasper started with Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and then verse 4 says this, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And you know what? There is a measure that that's what it's all about, being with Jesus eventually. So look forward, because you're going to make it. Jesus has you. He made a way so that we can go in that way. And we have Jesus. Summit Church. That's who we are now. You know what? Eventually it's going to become like a name. I think about naming Hunter and Brock, Heather and my two sons. And it was awesome. We're like, all right. I'm like, got to be hyper-masculine. Got to have a hyper-masculine name. So I think Hunter, right? What, what does a hunter do? Oh, kills things. That's pretty cool. And then Brock, it's like, it sounds like rock, right? And then we looked it up, and it really means badger. And it's like, that's Brock. That's perfect. He's like this, this badger that does all these, all, all these awesome things. And I'll say this, Brock. When God gets a hold of your heart and you stay in him, he's going to do awesome things with your life if you persist in him. But these names, you know what, though? I don't think about Badger anymore when I think of Brock. I don't think about um, taking a 270 out and taking a 250-yard shot to get a deer when I talk about Hunter. I think about Hunter, who he is, and I think about Brock, who he is. And it's the same in regards to the name of our church. It means something right now, and it was fun and very profitable for your leaders to get together and say, this is who we are. But who we are is all of us together. Not, not a name that we'll have on the signs. The two new ones that are outside right now, I think they're already uncovered. And the, the one that we hope to have on a huge one on the side of that building. Like, it's not about the name, it's about Jesus. So if this name has in any way made us just think more of ourselves, let's just pack it up. Like, fail. But if this name becomes something by which people think of Jesus... We point to the glory of God in Jesus Christ, and it's going to be a really good thing for our church. I'm going to pray now, kind of a prayer of blessing over our church, and I hope you join with me. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord. You are the living word of God. You are great and greatly to be praised. And it's awesome. Your word says 
but there is encouragement in Christ. That's in you and comfort from your love and participation or fellowship in your Holy Spirit and affection and sympathy. And we're called to have the mind that you have, Lord Jesus. There's nothing we can do to, to, to grab that or obtain it. You have to change our hearts and will and work in us that we might become like you. But thank you for your word, who you are and what you've declared because it promises that we've been predestined by the Father to be conformed to the image of you, Lord Jesus. Work that out for your glory, not ours. Thank you for what you've done over the years. Thank you for hurting us, Father. Thank you for blessing us in so many ways, even with some of those hurts, like an awesome whiff of cold air or slap in the face from our almighty Father to say, what are you doing? You're awesome, God. Great and greatly to be praised. Make this a place where you are and we are transformed, Heavenly Father. Keep us on the narrow road, focused on you and unified and eager to maintain that unity. So bless us, Heavenly Father, because of the work of your Son, Jesus. Bless us so that when people come into this place, that none but you is exalted and seen and celebrated. Bless us with clarity. Keep us dependent on you, that we would remain in you and abide in you. Don't let us drift. Bless those who've gone out from this church to do works that you've given to them by your spirit. I pray that you would abundantly and deeply and powerfully bless Harvest in Spring Lake and their campus that's in Grand Haven. I pray that you would bless Harvest in Spanish Town, Jamaica, Father. We ask for your blessing on the island of Grenada, that the work that you began there would be completed in a way that we could see that you are indeed at work at some point in time, Heavenly Father. I pray for Redemption Church in Granville, that you would bless them, God, that your gospel would be proclaimed and you would do amazing things through that. And we do ask God unashamedly, knowing we're entirely dependent on you, we ask you to bless us in this body, that all who come in here would know who you are and what you've done in Jesus. And it's always in his name and his name alone that we pray by the authority that we have in him, because all authority was given to him on heaven and earth. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Near 20 years ago, I took a trip to the Rocky Mountains, and if you've ever wondered why the Rocky Mountains were created by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's this. It's because they declare his majesty. I sat on a ski lift, and I was riding to the top of the mountain, and of course you start down in the trees, and as you work your way up past the tree line, turning and looking and being blown away by this expression of the majesty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you don't want to come down, even though it's really fun. You want to stay there. And here's what I know. I relate that to my life and relationship with Jesus Christ. It is, as Jasper said, really easy to get lost in the trees and lose sight of the summit. But when we have the Holy Spirit of God in our hearts and in our lives, he gives us the ability to see through those trees that want to that cause us to think that we are lost. I am so thankful 
so thankful for the power and the might of the Holy Spirit that he has given each one that is his. And so listen, I know some of you don't go to church here. I know some of you, you sit on the fringes of who this church is and who it's been. And I'm telling you, come on in. It is a riot to be a part of this church. I have been so blessed over the last 15 years to belong to this church. Come on in and be a part of it. Give your life to Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Hey, let's thank Jasper and Corey and Bjorn for the countless hours they put into this. It was them. It was even though the rest of us met. Check the signs out as you leave. Pray for Summit Church across that wall facing the road. Right now we're zoned farming, so we're only allowed like 35 square feet for a sign, but it needs to be like three times that big. So pray that the township would say okay to that one, all right? Know this. This this doesn't change. You'll hear this from now until forevermore. Summit Church, you are loved.